Yeah, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. Hey, if you didn't see a picture that you sent in up there, relax. We've got a long summer in front of us, right? Hey, have uh, you already heard twice? This will be your third time. Brand new series today. Um, and we've called this um, series Summer Playlist mainly because it's summer. Um, but it's also, for the next seven weeks or so, um, the, the messages are going to be a little bit like hit and shuffle on your favorite playlist um, on your phone, your computer, and listening to all kinds of different random songs, okay? For the next seven weeks, we're going to hit shuffle, and each week is going to be a completely different message, not connected whatsoever to the other messages. Um, this is just an opportunity for us each and every week to focus on uh, different scriptures, different ideas, different topics. And then at the end of the series, hopefully we'll have a good summer and um, hear from God um, through his word. And um, that's, that's our hope. That's our prayer every single time that we show up here together. But that's kind of what this series is all about. And today, to start the series, I want to talk about something uh, that some of you love, um, some of you hate, some of you are indifferent um, towards this, but it's something that we're dealing with right now, and, and I want to focus on this for just, uh, just one, uh, one week, and, um, and, and here's where we'll start. Um, you already know this, but um, you are living in a time of unprecedented change, Right? Um, you are, there, there are all kinds of changes happening in us and around us. Um, I just want to think about, just, just think about the last 15 months of your life, okay? Like, I woke up and everybody's family turned into a cartoon character on social media. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> right? That's a pretty big change, okay? But, but here, here's another way to think about it. Like, some experts will say that technology has progressed five to 10 years into the future over the last 15 months. Let me give you a couple examples. How many of you knew what Zoom was in 2019? Okay. Now, how many of you are sick and tired of Zoom today? Yeah, see that? Yeah, right? In, um, at the end of 2019, Zoom had 10 million daily users. Four months later in April of 2020, 300 million daily users. Yeah, you wished you bought stock in Zoom in early 2020, right? It's, it's, it's progressed, and, and we're probably not going to be Zoomed out for the rest of our lives at the same way it was during the you know, height of the pandemic, but that technology is not going away. It's going to be a part of our lives in some way, shape, or form. Here's another one to think about. This will make you feel really, really old. Um, the college freshman class of next fall um, not only are they the last class to be born in the 1900s, they have their entire life thought of a phone as primarily something to take pictures with. When you talk about a phone, they don't think, well, I'm going to call somebody. They think, I'm going to take a picture with it. And think about this. I love this. I read this this week. When they were born, a blackberry was a wild fruit. <laughs> then it turned into a communication device. And it's a wild fruit again. <laughs> Rapid change, people. We, we are living in a moment of incredibly rapid change. And you've got your own examples. Like you could, you could talk about things that you've faced or that you've dealt with when it comes to change. But here's why I say all that. And this is going to sound like Tony Robbins. This is going to sound like pop psychology. It might even sound a little self-help. But I promise you, if you'll stick with me, it's actually more biblical than what you might see on the surface. Here's what I want to talk about. You can see change as a threat, 
or as an opportunity. You can see change as a threat or as an opportunity. If you see change as a threat, you're going to white knuckle it. You're just going to hold on. You're going to try and survive. You're just going to get through it, right? Some of you, that's kind of how you've dealt with the last 15 months. Let's just get through this. Let's just hold on. Let's just survive. But did you know that's not the only response to change? There's actually another response. You can see change as an opportunity. And, and I would make the case, here's the case that I want to make today, that if you view change as an opportunity, you can view it as a chance to dream. You can use it as a chance to think about the future. You can use it as a chance to look at what might be instead of just what is or what was. And, and, and we've seen examples of this throughout history. I'm going to give you one. Uh, this is Henry Ford. Um, and his Model T back in the 1900s. Um, this is kind of the, he was the, he was the first one to, to put together an automobile through an assembly line. Um, many people think this is kind of the beginning of a gas-powered um, engine um, vehicle. Um, and, and you also know, those of you who are old enough to know this, back in 2008 during the economic crisis, um, companies like Ford and GM and Chrysler had to be bailed out by the government. And you have to kind of read below the surface to get to this. But they viewed that rapid change in 2008 as a threat to their business. And so they went to the government and they asked to be bailed out. They, they viewed the change as a threat. But there was another individual in the automotive industry in 2008 that viewed it as an opportunity. His name was Elon Musk. And in 2008, he launched the very first Tesla Roadster kind of the beginning of the electric car revolution. He wasn't the first one to come up with an electric car, but he was the one who put it on the map. And, and many people have labeled him the Henry Ford of the 21st century. Regardless of what you think about him personally, okay? Regardless of what you think about his politics or how he tweets way too much, okay? Regardless of any of that, he and Tesla viewed 2008, the change that happened in 2008, as an opportunity, and here they are today. The same is true for you. The same is true for me. We can view change as an opportunity, or we can view it as a threat. And if you view it as a threat, you will have a very difficult time dreaming. You'll have a very difficult time thinking about what could just, just think about it personally. If, you know, if your marriage is going through a very, very difficult time, you're in survival mode, you're just thinking about the next day, the next week, the next month, the next argument. When you're in that, you can't think about the romantic vacations you want to take. You can't think about the golden years of your marriage. You can't think about you know, retirement and what that might look like for you. Why is that? It's because it's very hard to be in survival mode and dream the same time. If your son is driving you crazy, if your daughter is driving you crazy, it's hard to think about the, the amazing husband and father or the amazing wife and mother that they're going to be in 10, 15 years. It's hard to think about the friendship you're going to have with them in 15 to 20 years because you're just, just white knuckle this. Let's just get through that 12 to 18 year period and get on the other side. It's very hard to dream. When you're in survival mode, it's, it's very hard when your finances are, are in, just in the trash can and you're in debt up to your eyeballs. It's hard to think about remodeling. It's hard to think about buying your first home. It's hard to think about starting that business you've always wanted to start. It's hard to dream 
when you're in survival mode, it's just really, really hard. And some of us, like even before the pandemic, we were in survival mode. You were in survival mode in some way, and I don't know that for a fact, but my guess is you probably were. And then like the pandemic wave came, you were just barely keeping your nose above the water, but then the pandemic wave came, and then the George Floyd wave came, and then the the election wave came, and then the Chiefs losing the Super Bowl wave came, (laughs) and then January 6th wave came, and it's just like, it doesn't matter what you do, the waves around you continued to hit over and over, and you felt like you were in survival mode. And I don't know how many of you are still there today, but today, I just want to, if you'll allow me, I want to hit the reset button. I want to shake you. And the way I want to shake you, the way I want to hit the reset button is by simply posing a question to you. And the question is this, how do you move from simply surviving to dreaming again? Like, what does that look like for you? What, what, might that, what might that be in your life? How might you do that? What, what needs to take place for you to move from just simply surviving? And it may have nothing to do with the pandemic. What, is it, what does it look like for you to move from simply surviving to dreaming again? And, and the way that we're going to do that, we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah. You already heard a really good message from Isaiah today, by the way. We're going to look at Isaiah again. We're going to look at Isaiah 43. If you have a Bible or a mobile device and you want to find that and follow along, I'd love for you to find that and follow along. We'll throw these verses up on the screen as well so we can all get there. But while you're finding that, let me, let me give you a little bit of background, okay? Isaiah's a prophet to the nation of Israel sent by God. God um, had uh, prophets, messengers that he would send to his people. Most of the time it was to his people. There's a couple prophets that go to other nations. But Isaiah was sent to the nation of Israel about 700 years before um, the birth of Christ. And prophets were like messengers. They would represent God's voice, God's will to the people of Israel. Sometimes their messages were encouraging. Sometimes they were a warning. Sometimes they would, you know, talk about the future and what was going to happen. But prophets were God's chosen messengers sent to God's chosen people. And in this passage we're looking at today, the majority of the nation of Israel was in exile. Um, they'd been taken out of their homeland. They were prisoners of war in Babylon where they lived anywhere from 40 to 70 years, okay? So think about their context. Think about what they're dealing with. They're, they're in survival mode. You wanna talk about hanging on by a thread? You, you wanna talk about how much longer are we going to have to deal with this? I, you know, when is this ever going to be over? Can we just go back to normal? Anybody heard that over the last year or so? Can we just go back to normal? This is exactly where the people are. And here's God's message to people who are there. Isaiah 43, verse 14. He says, For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. God says, You guys think the Babylonians are in charge? No, they're not. In fact, I'm going to send an army, and the Babylonians are going to use the ships they're so proud of to flee in. They're going to, they're going to tuck their tail between their legs and flee. And, and if you're an Israelite in captivity, you go, yeah, do that. Like today, finally, we're going to get free. 
Tell us more about that, God. Verse 16, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. God is reminding them of, of how he brought their ancestors out of captivity in Egypt. Okay? Hundreds of years before, he sends Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt, and there they've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got you know, the Egyptian army behind them, and God opens the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry ground. And the, the, the Egyptian army follows them, and God sends the Red Sea just crashing down. God says, I'm that God. I'm the one who did that. You guys remember that? Yeah, we remember that. We've been told that story every single day since we were little kids. We'd like some more of that, please. Isaiah goes on. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. I love this phrase. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. This is sanctified smack talk is what this is. If you're an Israelite in captivity, you hear that? Yes. Do that again. Hammer the Babylonians like you hammered the Egyptians. Do that again. And I, I, just, I just think this is so interesting that, that God is almost highlighting, because what we're getting ready to look at, God is highlighting something about human nature. That when we're in survival mode, our tendency is, can we just go back to the way it used to be? <laughs> Can we just get back to what's comfortable, to what's predictable, to what's known, to what I thought I could actually control? Can we go back to that? That's, that's what God is saying. Take us back to that. When things were better, can't we just go back to 2019? But look what God says to them next. This is shocking to me. God says, but forget all that. <laughs> what? what? Forget all that? Yeah, remember all that stuff I did with the Egyptians in the Red Sea and how I rescued your ancestors? Forget all that. Okay, number one, why'd you bring it up if you want us to forget it? Like, like why, why are we talking about this? Here's why. God says forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Is nothing. Remember all that stuff I did in the past? Remember the good old days? Nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Four, I am about to do something new. I should underline that phrase. As amazing as all that stuff was in the past, plot twist. As much as you loved all that stuff, you love those stories, you love how it makes you feel, I'm going to do something new ahead. Much as you'd like to go back and relive those days, there's something new coming. It's comfortable, it's familiar, it's predictable as that was. There's something new ahead. As much as you'd like me to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, I am doing something new. And then he says, see, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create, create rivers in the dry wasteland. God says through Isaiah, I got a new way, got a new thing. What's the new thing? Well, up to this point, you've had kings and kingdoms that kind of make the, the, the world history go. But I'm about to bring the king of kings. I am going to bring somebody to save all of humanity, not just the Jews. I'm going to bring a new kingdom to this 
earth. God is, God is actually hinting at Jesus 700 years before Jesus even shows up. And Isaiah is pointing forward to the moment when Jesus would come to this earth and usher in a brand new kind of kingdom. And you go, okay, how in the world does that help people in captivity? Like, thanks for that. That doesn't do us any good. Well, here's, here's why I think it helps. I want to I just point out two things from this passage that we learn about the character of God. Okay? Two things. First thing is this. That God's faithfulness in your past means he'll be faithful in your future. That's why he brings up the Egyptians. That's why he talks about his past activities. He's not saying, I'm going to do that again. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to work in the same way I did in the past. But I just want you to remember, I'm the same God who did all of that. Even in the midst of, of this moment of exile, even in the midst of, of, of the, what looks like that I'm not active, even when it looks like I'm doing the exact opposite of what you think I should be doing, <laughs> I'm that same God. I'm still faithful. And oh, by the way, I'm still with God's faithfulness in the past means he'll be faithful in the future. And I don't know who here needs to hear this today, but some of you need to hear that today. Think back. Remember, hasn't God been faithful to you? Hasn't he shown his faithfulness to you over and over and over again? Even, even if you don't feel the same way today as you did then even if it doesn't look like he's doing what you want him to do right now, even if it looks like he's doing the exact opposite. God says to you today, I'm that same God today as I was then. I'm still faithful. I'm still active. And I'm still with you. Some of you just need to hear that today. He's with you. He's faithful. But there's a second part of God's character we see in this passage. We love the first part. We say amen to that. We want more of that in our lives, right? It's like a, it's like a, a blanket coming out of the dryer on a cold winter day. Like, give me more of that. But there's another part of God's character we can't ignore. God's faithfulness in your past means he'll be faithful in the future. But God wants to do a new thing, not the same thing. Like, part of the character of God is his faithfulness that does not change. Part of the character of God is that he does new things. He brings about change. He wants to see change. God isn't about returning to normal. He's about doing something new. And, and, and like when I say we, I mean me included. But we are so tempted to live in this mentality of just take me back to what was. Just, just take us back to where we're comfortable and familiar. Take us back to what's predictable. I, again, you've heard it just as much as I, I have. I've heard so many people say, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. I understand that thinking, okay? But hear me. What if God wants to use all the change that's happened around us to bring about change in us and we're missing it? What if we're missing? 
what God wants to do in us. I mean, if God says that he was going to do a new thing with people in exile for 70 years, isn't it possible that God wants to do something new in us, in people who are in pandemic for 15 months? And, and what if we're missing it? Going back to the beginning, change can be viewed as a threat. Absolutely. But change can be viewed as an opportunity. And so what if? What if? What if you just decided to make this a part of your prayers? Don't stop praying for whatever you're praying for, but just add this on, okay? For the next three months, June, July, and August, that's all I'm asking. What if you added this prayer onto your already long list of prayers? God, would you show me the new thing you're wanting to do in my life? God, what's the new thing you're wanting to do in my life? He says through Isaiah, don't you see it? I've already begun. That's an invitation for the people of Israel to pay attention, to focus, to, to, to maybe stop paying attention to all the things that are happening immediately around them and pay attention to what he is doing in them. Maybe we need to start, start paying attention through his word, through his spirit, through his people. Uh, maybe we have to, 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 to start paying attention. We might have to actually stop paying attention to other things. Shift our focus. Maybe we need to ask him to show us. Stop, stop focusing so much on the past and getting back to normal and start focusing on the new thing he's doing. I mean, this is, it's really just a matter of attention. What do we give our gaze to? What do, we, what do we spend our time and attention and focus on? God, show me where you're wanting to do a new thing in my marriage, with my kids, um, my finances, my, my heart, my thought life. Hey, maybe he wants to do a new thing with you and your anger. Maybe he wants to do a new thing with you and your depression. Maybe he wants to do a new thing with, I don't know, with your patience or your lack thereof. Maybe he wants to do a new thing in a skill set at work or a talent you don't have yet. God, show me where you are doing a new thing in my life. And let's, can we just call this what it is? This is a dangerous, difficult prayer, <laughs> right? It just is. Because it doesn't say, at least my Bible doesn't say, God is wanting to do an easy thing. Your Bible say that? My Bible says he's doing a new thing. And sometimes in order to do a new thing, he has to leave the old things behind. Sometimes in order to do a new thing, you have to leave the things that are comfortable and predictable and we can't control. Sometimes a new habit means leaving an old habit, an old sin that needs to be left behind. Behind. It's dangerous. It's difficult, and, and, and here's, here's the other side. Like Some of you are like, yeah, Tim, can we just talk about this all summer? I love change. And the others are you like, would you please pray and say amen so I can leave, right? <laughs> some of you are thinking, Tim, I'm, I'm, like, I'm barely surviving here, dude. I'm barely hanging on. It has nothing to do with the pandemic, but there's this situation, there's this thing, there's this relationship, there's this stuff that I'm dealing with right now. I can't even begin to know about what God has new for me. I can't even begin to dream. What am I supposed to do? Completely fair question. Completely fair question. To those of you who are there, I want to point you to something that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. Okay? This is after Jesus has already come. He's died. He's risen from the dead. He's seen by hundreds of people. Um, Paul is one of those individuals who takes the message of Jesus all over the known world. They can't stop talking about the resurrection. 
they start planting churches, these little ecclesias all over the place. And in the midst of all those new things, like the church is brand new at this point. In the midst of all that excitement, we don't talk about this a whole lot. They face persecution. They face imprisonment. They face all kinds of suffering. And most of it doesn't happen because of decisions they've made. Most of it happens from the outside. And so in, in, in the midst of that, listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4. That is why we never give up. If you want to know what he's talking about there, go back and read the first 15 verses. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Paul says, um, you're dying. Your body is dying. Now, from the age of about 30 on, certain things start to happen to your body, right? Like, isn't it so funny? You didn't used to grunt whenever you got out of a chair, and now you grunt, right? Um, you have to be careful not to pull any muscles when you sneeze. Does anybody else have that problem? Ugh. From, from about the age of 30 on, I, I read this a few years ago. <laughs> From the age of 30 on, you lose tens of thousands of brain cells every day. It's no wonder you can't find your keys. <laughs> the worst part, all, all of the weight starts to gather around the equator of your body, and your hair stops growing where you want it to and boldly grows where no hair has grown before. <laughs> we got to laugh to keep from crying. Like our bodies are dying. But did you catch the second part? God wants to renew your spirit every day. <laughs> he wants to do a new thing in you every day. Like up until your last breath, God wants to do new things in your life. Does, it, does that mean you ignore your troubles? No, look what Paul says. For our present troubles are small, and won't last very long. We're going to come back to this in the fall and talk about eternity. But what he's saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got eternal life. It starts right now, and it goes on forever. You've got eternity. And the challenges, the troubles you face here on this earth are really, really small. And they're really, really short compared to what's in front of you. So just as a way of an example, let's just make this worst case scenario. Let's say you have terminal cancer or MS or ALS or dementia, whatever it is. You, you live with that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. On top of that, you outlive your kids. All your kids die before you do and your spouse, right? Like you're, you're a modern day Job. That's your life. Is that tragic? Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty bad. Is, that, is anybody going to sign up for that? I don't think so. But living with that kind of pain, that kind of heartache, that kind of tragedy for 70, 80, 90 years is so tiny compared to the life that's in front of you. That's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever 
and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How long you got? Ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's so tiny. It's so small compared to an eternity of rest and joy and triumph. And this is what Paul's saying. Our present troubles, whatever they are, however tragic they are, you're single your entire life. However tragic it is, they won't last very long. And they're so small. Not only they're small and won't last very long, he says they produce for us a glory. You've already heard about that word today. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Isn't it true? There's, there's weight to the troubles we carry. There's a burden to pain. There's a burden. And we can't ignore those. We can't discount that. It's not biblical to ignore those things. And it's not healthy. We have to acknowledge the burdens of life. But Paul reminds us that the troubles we face, they produce a glory in us. They produce a weight that outweighs the pain and the burdens of life. That the glory God produces in us are weightier. They're more dense. They're longer lasting than the burdens we deal with on this earth. So God, show me where you're doing a new thing in my life, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of burden, even in the midst of suffering and sorrow and pain. Give me a glimpse just show me a portion of the dream you have for me. Give me a taste of the new thing you're doing in that relationship, in my job, in my finances, in my soul, in my anxiety, in my health. Just give me a glimpse. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. It might even be flat out hard. But until your dying breath... God wants to renew you every day, day by day by day. Just as a as, as way of an example here, back in um, 2010, as a church, we started kind of dreaming and praying about some, what, what's, what's the next thing for us as a church? And, and part of that process that we went through was changing our name. We used to, our, our, the name of our church used to be Fairland Heights Wesleyan Church. Now it's Grace Point Church. And as we went through that process, there were people that came to us and said, you're going to lose people if you change the name of the church. Like I know of a church, you changed their name. And, you know, three months later, their door was closed. And, and what, these people, what, what they were saying is changing the name is a threat. Stop dreaming. Stop looking for God to do a new thing. That, that change is a threat to them. And, and then we started talking about launching a campus in North Topeka because we believed God wanted to do a new thing. And there were people who had legitimate questions about that, but then there were people who just wanted things to stay the same. Stop dreaming. Stop looking for God to do a new thing. That, that, that change was a threat. And then we brought the, the North Campus back here. And we started a Saturday night service because we wanted to make more room for people. We were running out of room here. Probably the hardest decision that we've had to make as a leadership team in my time as lead pastor. But once again, there, there are people against that change, against that new thing. Some of them had very legitimate questions and concerns, but, but some of them just viewed it as a threat. The change was a threat. And then our Making Room Capital campaign from 2016 to 2019, so many of you prayed. So many of you gave, like sacrificially gave to that. 
And we raised close to a million dollars to, to, towards building a building at Huntoon and Urish, our property, or, or looking for another facility somewhere in town. We believe that was the new thing that God had for us. We still believe that's something God has for us, but COVID, <laughs> right? We kind of put those plans on hold. We're getting back on our feet like every other church. And I, like I, I was thinking about it this week. I wish I could sit here and just tell you some amazing announcement today about our next steps in regards to relocating. But the reality is I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. I'd love to have something like that, but we're, we're just in this rebuilding, reimagining mode right now. And, and I list all those things because I want to show you that, that God's past faithfulness means that he'll be faithful to you in the future as an individual. But God's past faithfulness to us as a church also means his faithfulness in the future will be for us as well. Like we're, we're not in this alone. God's past faithfulness means he'll be faithful in the future. But God wants to do a new thing. Not the same thing. And, and, and you and I, we can see those changes. We can see those things as a threat in our personal lives and in our corporate body life. Or we can see them as an opportunity. And I can't force you to see them as an opportunity, but I say... Let's view them as an opportunity. Let's view COVID as an opportunity to take a step back and say, okay, God, what's that new thing you have for us? What are you doing in me? And, and what are you doing in us to, to help us lead more people into a growing relationship with Jesus? To see more kids, teenagers, and adults find the kind of community that many of us have found here an opportunity to see more of the 96,000 people all around us who have no relationship with Jesus and no relationship with Jesus' church. Like the opportunities around us are as wide open as our willingness to see God do new things. And, and, and where can you, as an individual, as a couple, as a family, as a small group, I don't know, where can you start praying, God, I, I want to see the new thing you're doing in my life. So would you show me, where does my attention need to be? Where does my focus need to be? Give me a glimpse of the new thing. Is it inside of me? Is it external? Is it, is it a soul thing? Is it a heart thing? Is it a mind thing? Would you just show me where you're doing a new thing? And then, here's the beautiful part of this. As God does a new thing in you, in me, in you, and 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 you. When God does a new thing in you, God does a new thing in us. It spills over into what God does in and through us. So just, just three months. Keep praying what you're praying about. But I'm asking you, would you add that to your prayers? God, show me where you're doing a new thing in my life. And then whatever he shows you through his word, through his people, through his spirit, just do it. Just do it. Step into it. Can you imagine being in captivity? <laughs> you're, you're a slave, basically. You're a prisoner of war. And somebody shows up and, hey, God's going to do a new thing. Well, when's he going to do it? 700 years. <laughs> Can you imagine? But see, here we are on the other side of this. 
And what Mark said earlier is true. If God never does anything else for you for the rest of your life, Jesus is enough. And we just want as many people as possible, their life to intersect with Jesus' life. We want as many people as possible to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to see that kind of change take place. So God, what do you want to do in me? God, what do you want to do in us? And then let's just do it. And that's all I got to say about that. Next week, we're going to come back and um, we're going to talk about God's will. What does it look like? I'm going I'm to give you a grid through which you can decipher, through which you can discern with other people, how do I figure out what God's will is for my life, for my family, for whatever it is. So I hope you come back and join us for part two. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for, man, this, this document that's hundreds and what's well, really thousands of years old. And the message that you gave to your people through Isaiah is just as relevant today as it was then. And, and, and we believe that's true because your word is alive. It's active, even today. And God, for those of us, um, again, we're, we're ready to charge out of here and get after that new thing. For some of us, we have no idea what that looks like. And God, wherever we find ourselves, my, my prayer is simply that you would, you would give us the wisdom to know what that new thing is and, and then the courage to step into that difficult, dangerous prayer and then the courage to follow it up and, and to obey and, and, and to look for you, not to do the same thing, not to, to go back, not to, to go into what's easy and comfortable and predictable, but to step into this new thing because your faithfulness in the past means you're faithful in the future. And we want to be people who don't just say you're faithful to us in the past, but you're actually faithful to us right here and now in this present moment. And you're faithful in the next and the next and the next. God, give us eyes to see. Give us the faith to walk forward in it. And I ask all of this, I pray all of this, in the name of the one that makes it even possible for us, in the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.